Welcome to This is What Democracy Sounds Like. I'm Kevin Prang. This program is a presentation of Metropolitan Congregations United. MCU is a community organization that brings together religious congregations, community groups, and individuals to work for a common purpose to create a better life for all residents in the region. We work at the intersection of race, economy, political power, gender, and the structures of oppression at work within us individually, within our organization, and within the community. We are working towards building people's control of the government, building community control of the economy, and expanding the public sphere, and creating structural racial equity. Today, our guests are Reverend Deidre Wise-Baker, who is the organizer for MCU's Break the Pipeline campaign, and Latricia Gandhi, uh, MCU's parent organizer. Today, we're going to talk specifically about the impact of the COVID-19 outbreak and youth in detention and a recent action at the Division of Youth Services Hogan Street Center. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having uh, us, Kevin. <laughs> first, uh, let's recap this, the severe health risks that the COVID-19 outbreak uh, poses for anybody in incarceration. Yeah, there's a few things. I mean, obviously, um, you know, depending on the facility, it's difficult for um, folks to practice social distancing. Um, because of security measures, you can't do frequent hand washing. You're in close contact. Um, so spread. Um, obviously, things around sanitation, the ability to sanitize, the frequency of sanitation, uh, all of those um, reasons and more. Um, uh, we have, you know, medical doctors, uh, we have pediatricians um, are, who are saying, you know, these, this, is, this is a horrible place for children to be, and of course for incarcerated people to be um, during a spread like this. It's just a place that's kind of set up to incubate a virus and spread it um, really fast. Well, to speak on DYS, you know, there's no separation during this COVID crisis. So the, the children are amongst one another. Some are infected and some are not. So the separation is not um, pretty well contained for the children. And so there's a big concern about the separation and the installation of the children that are infected currently. So why was uh, special attention uh, paid to the, uh, the youth center on, on Hogan Street? Um, uh, we had an, an action on May 8th and uh, with MCU and ex-incarcerated persons organizing Expo and the Campaign for Youth Justice. Uh, why, why was that particular facility uh, a point of interest? On March, at the end of March, March 27th or so, uh, we sent a letter to the St. Louis County and City uh, Juvenile Detention Centers and the Division of Youth Services, which has um, youth uh, committed to them from over 40 juvenile courts across the state of Missouri. Uh, we were asking particularly for a response from the St. Louis Regional Director to respond to their COVID-19 emergency responses for plans because we, it was publicized in the news that there was a case at the facility that we were at. We did not get a response from them to that letter. So that's the basic reason why we were there. Um, and Latricia can talk more about the family member that. Um, we support who has a family member there. Yes, there's a family that I currently advocate for who has a youth that's who's detained there currently. The youth has been there for more than six months. Um, recently, the guardian of the youth reached out, you know, wanted to know some concerns. Um, they're like they just said, 
stated, there was a youth recently um, who was recently um, diagnosed with COVID-19. Um, and a, a month ago was one. Now it's currently six in that same facility. Um, so I'm working with a parent, a guardian that has a youth detained there that, you know, her concerns are to get them, get him out. Um, he's in a dorm room with one that has already contacted the COVID-19. So there's a concern of the isolation, the separation. There is no isolation or separation currently. They don't have enough room or space or however the facility is working. There's no room for isolation. So this family is very concerned. Um, the guardian is very concerned about that youth that's been detained. So the letter, um, we just sent that letter to address these issues. We just want to understand what's going on and how can we eliminate that stay so long and remove those youth. That way they're not uh, affected or, you know, in isolation with those that are affected. Now, I, when we talked uh, yesterday at the, at the action, um, there was mention of that that's, that's a facility that, that has limited stay to begin with. And so it's almost as if we're, it's unnecessary to put the, the kids at risk for such a short period of time that they'll be in the facility too. Is, is that correct? Yeah, for most kids that go to the Division of Youth Services, um, this is a facility for the most part in their system that kids can only stay, to, stay in until they're 18 years old. Um, and most kids are there for an average of a little bit over a year. And so we have to ask, um, is a couple of months, you know, kids that, you know, there's got to be kids in there that are close to time for them to be released. You know what I mean? It's close to that 18 month period or they're close to the end of their program. Um, you know, why is there a blanket statement from them saying we're not releasing anybody under COVID-19? Like that makes zero sense. There has to be children in there that have underlying conditions. You're not considering those children like, and you know, what's going on with the staff and all of that stuff. So um, to just ask your question, yeah, you know, why, you know, a few months could save some kid's life in there possibly. And so when you're going to return these kids to the community, which you are, let's say 18 months or less, they're coming back to the community. Why don't we just go ahead, return them to the community now, put in and put into the community the resources that the community needs to support those kids because that's where they're going to anyway. It would be an easy way to start a transition. So what's the response been from DYS compared to city of St. Louis and County? Because that letter was sent out to, to those three different entities, correct? Yes, they were. They were sent out to all three. However, we've only received a response from city and county. We haven't received a response from DYS on Hogan Street. Okay. And, and what was our action? Describe for us the action for those who weren't able to see it online, uh, what we were doing and what we're asking from DYS um, on May 8th. Um, so it was a drive-by action, uh, basically sort of like a parade of cars, um, with numbers from 1 through 33 representing the number of children um, that are in that particular DYS facility. And the ask are one that uh, DYS response in a letter sharing their emergency COVID plans, and two, um, that they do some releases as the St. Louis County and city detention have done to reduce their populations and to explain for the kids that have to remain what 
is what are what are the procedures, policies that are going to go in place to protect those who have to remain. But they they haven't responded. They've given a blanket. We're not releasing. So that's what the that's what the action was about to get them to respond to those two items. Okay, and was has there been any response to that yet? I know it was early. We we did it right before a weekend. Was there any feeling that there there were, there was an impact yesterday? I I know there was a lot of energy in the in the group that participated. There's no official response from them yet. And just to, uh, what, what do we hope are the next steps? Or, or do we have a, sort of a next step if we don't have a response yet? Um, and and are, what kind of contact are we continuing to, to make with uh, DYS? Well, for the parent organizing part, we will continue to focus on that those incarcerated youth, their families. We'll continue to advocate on behalf of those families. Uh, we'll continue to write letters on behalf of those families send emails on behalf of those families. Whatever we have to do to get that response, we're going to continue to do it. If we have to take another action, we will do that as well. Um, you know, it is a cover response if we have to do another drive-by. Whatever we have to do to make sure that these families are getting what they're needing in the answers and concerns, the questions that they have, we will continue to take action and continue to just fight on behalf of those families. I was going to mention on Tuesday nights, we have participatory defense for families who have incarcerated youth, um, you know, you know, be, you know, reach out to us. Um, we want, if you have a kid in DYS or even in the juvenile detention centers in city or county, reach out to us. We want to support you um, around this issue and others related um, to these systems. And, and how has that been going, uh, having uh, that support group? Um, it seems like, you know, facing that system, by themselves, uh, family facing the system by themselves can be very intimidating. Uh, what, what have sort of been the results from having that, that group participation? Well, I will say for me, now I'm the parent organizer. I was once an impacted mother. So having my voice heard and, and continue to go on that, that fight and take those actions, we will continue to do that. Um, so it would, it would just continue to build power through voices, um, those meetings, we continue to, you know, we did have a couple of families reach out after the, after the action yesterday, a couple of families reached out. So we will bring them onto the meetings, get their testimonies, get their words heard, and just continue to push their voices out so they're heard by the community. So what's that been like for you transitioning from someone who came seeking assistance and, and now being a leader? It has truly been, I would say, an inspiration and a blessing um, because I struggled to get my voice heard as a parent. I struggled to get answers, um, questions answered. And, and it, was, it was a rough time, a couple of years, you know. So now that I'm transitioning, I know what it is to fight. I know what it is to co continue your perseverance, to get your voice heard. So I just want to encourage those families that, hey, we in this together. I once was there. I've crossed that threshold, but I'm going to continue to fight. And I continue to let you know that your, your words are power. You know, if we don't have those voices and those testimonies, it's hard for us to fight on behalf of our youth and families. So it has just been an inspiration for me to walk through it. You know, we have a lot of people that want to do good, but when you walk through it, it's a different feeling and it's a and it's more trustworthy to those families because you stepped in it along with them so a great it's been a great experience <laughs> good and, and I'm sure there, there's there's you don't have that feeling of being utterly alone anymore 
Absolutely not. And that's, that's, that's the power to let these families know you're not alone. You're not alone. Sometimes we don't know where to turn, who to ask for help, to get the questions asked, there, to get our concerns met. So you're not alone. We're not alone. And it's a powerful feeling when you know that you're not alone. Okay, great. And are there any other specific facilities that we need to pay attention to? Well, in the St. Louis region, um, Division of Youth Services has a, three facilities that are within 40 miles or so of the city limits. And so, again, there's been no reporting in the news about those facilities, but being that DYS has not been accountable publicly <laughs> around these issues, we have no idea what's going on in those facilities, um, including uh, facilities really close um, to our community, which is in Bell Fountain Neighbors, the Missouri Hills location. Uh, so I think that's a facility to pay attention to. Again, I've been in that facility, very difficult for the number of kids that are generally held in those to practice any form of social distancing or quarantining. Um, so we really need to know what's going on um, in, in these buildings and for the Department of Youth Services to be accountable. Okay, and if someone does have um, a family member that is incarcerated and they would like assistance, what is the best way to, to, to contact and, and become more involved? We have um, a text a text program that they can use. Um, all they got to do is ta uh, text uh, hashtag love youth to three one nine nine six hashtag love youth to three one nine nine six. Dietra, can you speak a little bit about what what the challenge has been for organizing? Uh, during um, sort of shutting down everything. We actually had to take different steps yesterday than we usually do, and it's required some creativity. Yeah, it's been really hard. I mean, it's particularly for us, and Latricia can talk about this too, just trying to, normally we're at the courts, like we're physically there. We go there every week to meet families, to introduce ourselves to them. We can't do that, and we are not a part of the virtual hearings that are happening and so it's been very hard to just even you know build those relationships with families at a time when I think families really really need their voices amplified and heard and they really really have concerns you know we can't get to them so I mean in the midst of this pandemic it's just been hard to be creative um, but we're starting to find our way digitally um, trying to starting to find our way through letters and social media uh, to, to, to still get um, the word out there and continue to move campaigns. How difficult has it been for, for families to stay in contact with, with people who, who are incarcerated? It's been a little difficult. The family I've advocated for, um, I, would, I would just say, at first there were no phone calls, uh, about a minute or two phone calls every now and then. Um, so the advocate, I advocated on behalf of this family, sent out a letter. Um, we asked, we just, a simple ask, can we increase the phone calls? Can we have virtual meetings set up for the children? Right now, the schools are giving children Wi-Fi and Chromebooks. You know, can we get that same thing put into the DYS systems for the youth? So that way they could still interact with their family. Um, and for this family, those concerns were met. You know, the, the limit of calls were increased and virtual meetings a couple of times a week. So that's, a, that's, that's great, but that's the big, you know, the disconnect. Some families don't have that Wi-Fi or that, that media or 
cell phone actions, you know, um, the family I advocate for still have a landline, you know, so some things were difficult, um, but some mets were concerned, were, some concerns were met, excuse me. So the increasing in the phone calls and the virtual meetings did help access this family, you know, um, the capabilities that this family did need. So if we continue to push and ask for those things, I just really don't see why, why not? You know, the school officials are doing it. You know, I think the children should be able to have those same accessibilities. You can't physically see your family. You need to see your family. We need to know that they are all right. Their families need to know that they are all right. They need to see them physically. So virtual Zoom calls is necessary at this point. And, and again, to the action, Kevin, um, we know that this family got that response, but that, that's why it's really critical for DYS to respond publicly, <laughs> because we don't know what's going on with the rest of the youth who don't may not have someone speaking up or asking questions or sending letters or emails. And so that's why we need to know, did you just do that for this kid, or is that your policy across um, your number of facilities across the state? That's why we, we need them to respond publicly about what they're doing. So that it's not just a benefit for one kid, but that all the kids in that system um, are receiving, um, you know, those visits and the care that's needed and the considerations for release um, that need to be considered. If we know those those boundaries and those those um, guidelines, then then we have something to go with um, that we can we can talk about, we can advocate for or against. But with nothing, with silence, there, there's there's really almost nothing you can you can push back on. So how has this been? Uh, I think we talked about this a little bit yesterday too. How can a health emergency like this be an opportunity to, to even rethink incarceration and especially for youth? It, it looks like this is a, a time when we can get folks attention and say, hey, you know, let's, let's start talking about uh, more human treatment and, and also is all of this necessary? Um, can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very important part of the action um, in this COVID-19 response. Yeah, we're, I mean, we, the, the decarceration, decriminalization movement is strong, uh, particularly around areas of youth justice. And we've been calling for more community-based services, even for kids who are deeper in the system, who represent roughly the kids that end up in DYS or kids that have, you know, been deeper in, may be more complex, may have gotten into more than one issue. Those kids we know by data through different programs like Safely Home, who by the way, are in a pilot with St. Louis City and County right now, um, in a pilot um, to, to look at, and they've been successful in other cities already, of what it means to take some of that money, divest some of those monies from the detention centers and from um, places like DYS, those youth prisons, and reinvest that money in the infrastructure of the community. Why? Because what happens after DYS or detention or residential treatment? The kid goes right back home to the community, right? And does the community have what it needs to support the kid? No. Generally not. And so why don't we take some of those resources, you know, they close the workhouse, um, take some of those resources, divest these prison industrial complexes, even for youth, you know, they might be a nicer, friendlier version. Let's divest, let's invest in the infrastructure for return and re-entry of these kids in the community and making sure the community has what it needs to support these kids long-term. And it's been effective at reducing recidivism and from keeping these kids from progressing into prison. 
And have either of you uh, have any information on, on whether um, there have been more uh, youth going into the system during this time? Has that slowed at all? Or, or is that still going on too? And, and we also need to have those, continue to have those discussions about pulling back on, on even getting kids into the pipeline to begin with. Uh, we know for sure that kids are still being admitted to DYS. Um, we know that's happening. In the detention centers, it varies. Um, they, are, they have taken some actions to um, reduce the calling of KPSs, particularly around certain kinds of cases. Um, and so they have taken those actions to, that was part of that first meeting we had with them, um, to reduce those KPSs of calling in um, kids that they don't really need to call in right now. Um, but there are still some children who are being admitted uh, based on the seriousness of, um, of the case. Uh, but they, they have, they have kind of went through, have a procedure for that, have isolated that to sort of the most serious things that they absolutely have to bring a kid in for, um, to, to stop, um, the, the admission. So in the detention centers, the admissions have definitely slowed, um, at DYS, they have not. Okay. Yeah. It, it looks like this is a good opportunity for us to sort of just take a look and say, well, the world is not falling apart, though we're changing this behavior. Can we, can we move this forward afterwards and, and create a, a new environment where, where youth can, can thrive instead of are just churned through the system? So. Okay, any final thoughts? And do you want to give uh, that, that phone number and contact information one more time for, for parents who, who are, are involved in the system? Absolutely. It's hashtag loveyouth31996. Again, hashtag loveyouth31996. You can also find us on MCU website. You can find us on Facebook um, at mcu.st mcustl.org. Um, we're on there as well. You can reach out to us. There you will find the information on the virtual meetings on Tuesday nights um, for the families to reach out and give their testimonies as well. Okay, excellent. I want to thank both of our guests today, Reverend Dietra Weisbaker, organizer for MCU's Break the Pipeline campaign, and Latricia Gandhi, MCU's parent organizer. And as you said, to learn more about MCU, go to mcustlewis.org also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for news and events and that's where we put out calls for action so if you want to participate follow us on those outlets and we, we will make sure to include you we had a nice turnout on the 8th and we want to thank those that participated and I'm Kevin Prang and you've been listening to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like tune in again next time and we thank you for listening